Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there. Welcome back to the Impact Makers Podcast, episode number 38. I'm looking forward to sharing a conversation with you today that'll give you some tools and tips to better understand what drives you in your career and in your life. And if you're a leader of people, you'll also be able to apply what we'll be talking about to coaching conversations with your own team members so you can help them to grow and to create more impact in their role and for your team. But first, I want to once again thank King University for their support, which makes this podcast possible. King is proud to offer 16 online degrees with accelerated programs and affordable tuition so you can start a new career faster than ever. You can choose from programs in technology, communication, and business like an online MBA with six concentrations, including human resource management. And because the program is offered fully online, you can earn your degree on your own schedule in as little as 16 months. Visit jennifermcclure.net forward slash King U to learn more about the King difference today. Last year, I was invited to attend a conference I'd never been to before that was called BridgeCon and was produced by a company called InStructure. The conference was held in beautiful Park City, Utah, and I was excited to learn more about their Bridge Career product, which is an employee-centric career development tool. I was excited to learn more from some of the keynote speakers at the event as well, including Claude Silver, Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia, as well as Alex Honnold and Jimmy Chen. You may know Alex Honnold is the first and only person to climb El Capitan in Yosemite National Park without any ropes or support, and his journey was filmed and directed by Jimmy Chin, who's also a professional climber and photographer, and his wife, Chai Vassarelli, a documentary filmmaker. The resulting film, Free Solo, won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature last year. And in case you're wondering what Alex Honnold and Jimmy Chin would have to say about career growth and development, they actually had a lot to say. They talked about the importance of creating a plan, preparation, hard work, and focus. And one of my favorite things Alex said was when he first came out on stage and he poked fun at one of Bridges' core promises, which is to find your Everest. He suggested that Bridge could change their tagline to find your career El Capitan. Because everybody's climbed Everest, including Jimmy Chin. I thought that was great. As someone who has a serious fear of heights, I've yet to watch Free Solo because I'm not sure I can take it. But I do have it saved on my VCR, DVR, sorry, we don't have VCRs anymore, and I'm going to watch it someday. In the meantime, I'll just continue to be inspired by Alex and Jimmy's work and the beauty of their world travels. The night before the conference began, myself and a small group of industry leaders and influencers were invited to meet with the Instructure team to learn more about the company and their products, and we were each given the opportunity to go through their career drivers exercise with one of the product team members. The exercise uses a deck of cards called Career Drivers Cards, which has been designed to help leaders kick off crucial conversations with their employees by helping them to articulate what drives them in their careers. Each card in the deck has a word or phrase on it like impact, autonomy, results, etc. And through a guided discussion and a process of elimination, you're left with the person's top career drivers, which means that you now have the foundation to build a better employee experience and a personalized career plan. If that sounds like a lofty goal, it is. So, of course, I was intrigued 
And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you already know that I'm an assessment junkie. So any chance to have someone dive into my soul and poke around is all right with me. Well, at least in regards to my career drivers. <laughs> As luck would have it, the person that walked me through the exercise was Steve Arntz, Instructure's product director. Steve had been part of the development process of the Career Drivers Card since the very beginning and has personally conducted over 700 interviews with people to identify the 54 drivers in the deck to create the process to land on an individual's top drivers, and he trained numerous managers to help the employees create personalized action plans that would engage them fully at work while performing at their best. It was really good that I had the best of the best working with me because we discovered that while I was pretty clear on what drives me, I wasn't as clear on how to use that information to best achieve my purpose, which is to help leaders to create more impact at work and in life. Thankfully, Steve was patient and encouraging throughout the process, and I left with a better understanding of what I needed to do to make things happen. I also could see how this simple tool and process could help even managers who aren't typically great at having development conversations with their employees to actually do so and to really make those interactions meaningful and actionable. And just in case you're wondering, my top career drivers are helping others, impact, influence, feeling valued, adventure, freedom, and work-life balance. And the exercise helped me to see that while I'm headed in the right direction with the first three, helping, impact, influence, and I'm doing pretty well with feeling valued, adventure, and freedom, I pretty much suck at work-life balance. <laughs> and if you've listened to my BFF conversation with my friend, Laurie Rudeman, in episode 36, you know I finally got a plan in place to make improvements in that area. During the conference, I also attended Steve's session where he shared more about what they learned about what drives people during the process of creating their career driver's deck, and I found it fascinating. So I invited him to join me on the podcast to share more, and our conversation turned out to be even more interesting than I'd envisioned. Steve not only has learned a lot through the product development process, he shared some great stories and learnings gleaned from his own career journey thus far that I think you'll find incredibly interesting and valuable. I've shared links in the show notes where you can find more information about Steve, as well as more information about Instructure, Bridge Career, and the Career Drivers Decks. So please enjoy my conversation with Steve Arntz. Well, hello, Steve. How are you today? I'm doing great. Yeah. It, and I should have asked you this before. Is it Jen or Jennifer that you like to go by? Jennifer. People that know me really well have decided they're going to call me Jen, even though we never agreed to that. <laughs> well, I'm glad so, I asked. <laughs> so, but I, I answer to all of the above. I say I answer to whatever, as long as it's not a bad word. And then so even then, I, I might be like, why did you call me that? Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be with you, Jennifer. I appreciate you taking some time to chat. So Sure. Well, I've already shared a little bit uh, in the intro about kind of how we connected and how we met. And since that time, I've been kind of thinking about getting you on, on the podcast someday because I really enjoyed the conversation that we had and the work that we did while we were at the BridgeCon conference last year. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. But, you know, both for me and for our listeners tell me who is Steve Arntz and yeah, did I, I say it right Steve Arntz you did yeah okay. I, I guess I don't know the definitive pronunciation I know the way my parents have pronounced it but uh well then that's somebody's definitive. probably rolling that rolling in their grave at this point <laughs> but uh yeah so Steve Arntz um, I think one of the most critical stories about me 
and a great way to kick off the conversation, particularly in light of the things that you like to talk about on your podcast, is that I was fired from my first job out of college. So I went to BYU and I graduated in information systems and I got on board with a startup and I convinced the CEO of the startup that he needed his first project manager to help bring order to some of his software projects. And over time, ended up kind of coming to blows with the CEO. And I was a, just kind of a, a hothead out of school. We thought he knew everything. And, you know, sooner than I would have liked. And much to my surprise, I was standing in a parking lot with a cardboard box with all my things in it and uh, calling my wife in tears, thinking that my career was over at uh, 25 years old. Uh, I was devastated. And that became the moment that defines the rest of things in my career and probably in my life as well. Because the next steps after a circumstance like that are really important. You can wallow in self-pity and feel sorry for yourself. You can take some time to grieve. I think that's important. And then move on. Uh, you can see it as the greatest gift. A lot of the people who you know talked to me right after that moment were like, listen, this is the best gift you've ever been given. And I, I chose to take that perspective. I said, this, this is a blessing. This is something I can take and, and learn from and, and do much greater things than what I was doing before. And so my very next day was at the Career Center at my university, the Alumni Career Center. And I found there that for $25, you can get professional counseling and a battery of assessments that would normally cost you five, six, $700. And so for $25, I had taken StrengthsFinder I took Strong's Interest Inventory to explore the interests in my career. And I took a personality assessment they used at the Career Center. And then I sat down with a professional counselor and we explored Steve, right? And so who is Steve? You asked that question. That's where I started to really understand who Steve was. I understood that I do have strengths. I understood that despite what the CEO said the previous day, he said to me, literally, you are unemployable. I think he meant it in a good way. Like you should go start a company. You shouldn't be working for people. You want to be in charge too much, right? Wow. But he, he labeled me and that label stuck. And it was unemployable. And I was wearing unemployable on my chest, right? As I walked into this career center. And so I'm in tears with this career counselor and he's looking through my personality. He's looking through constraints, finder results. He's looking through this interest inventory and he says, yeah, you're the CEO might be onto something. Entrepreneurship seems like it could be a good thing for you. But have you, have you looked into these other things? And he basically, he recommended that I go to a startup competition. And so I went to a business plan competition and I listened to all of the pitches. And there was one pitch in particular that stood out to me. And so I invited myself to join the company, uh, this, this nascent new company called Lucid Charts. And so it's a, it's a company that exists today. It's very large at this point. Millions of paying customers. And I was the third employee of that company at that point. I jumped wow. in and I just said, like, I'm going to volunteer. I know you don't have any money to pay me right now. I just kind of want to learn startups and give me something. to get my hands dirty and I'm going to start uh, doing things. And so, you know, the rest of the story is kind of building on that. I'm very passionate now about career development. I'm very passionate about helping people to find their why. What is it that makes you tick? What are you good at? What skills do you need to get where you want to go? How can I help you to do that? How can I help you to get there? And so the last four and a half years, I've worked on a product called Bridge, 
and it's a product that helps people in those types of things. It helps with learning. It helps with getting better, developing skills, mastering roles. It helps with helping people to find where they want to go in their careers from their, their key motivations to the things they want to do, to the skills that they want to develop, to the roles that might help them facilitate that in their career. And over the course of that, I've had hundreds of conversations with people about their careers. And that's been the most meaningful thing that's happened to me. And it's, and I've become a product of all of those conversations. I am those 700 people who I've talked to about their careers. And so to kind of sum it all up, the, the big thing for me at this point is focusing on ways that I can impact two key areas. Number one is human connection. How do we help people to connect with each other one-to-one and then at scale? And then the second area, and I'm, I'm really focused on the intersection of these two areas, human connection and personal growth and development. And I think they're highly, highly related. So my story includes a number of mentors in some really fortuitous encounters. Uh, I met a really strong career mentor at a Best Buy while he was buying hard drives. And he invited me to his house and he gave me an entrepreneurship advice. I met the founder of Ancestry.com at a basketball game. I stole his seats and we engaged in conversation. Um, He let me sit next to him even though I was sitting in his seats. And we talked for two hours and he became a mentor. And now he's been a lifelong friend. He was a global uh, strengths evangelistic gallop. And that is a part of my story. That human connection piece leads to immense growth and development. And so where those things intersect is really what I am, who I'm about, like what, like what I'm about, what I'm trying to accomplish in, in my career at this point. So. Wow. I had all kinds of things I thought we were going to talk about, but but we could talk for hours and you stared into my soul last year, at the, the BridgeCon conference where we met, where we kind of went through the career drivers thing, but we have so much in common with your story, but you know, I'm not going to get into that. But I think just to kind of go back to the way you started it out, you told a great story. Every speaker knows you have to start with a great story. So you grabbed me right away. We're like, you got fired from your very first job. I had a, a firing along the way too, where, you know, I'm like you, I say now that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So I had a friend a couple of years ago, we were talking about you know, an executive that we both know who has worked at a very high level at multiple companies. And at one point in the conversation, my friend said, oh, who is she? she? She's been fired from you know multiple jobs in her career. And I'm like, the best people are people who got fired. <laughs> you know? Because I think exactly what you said, that you took the opportunity, you had a couple of different directions you could go, but you can either learn from it or you can wallow in it. And you know, there's a period of time, I think, for all of us, for anybody who goes through that, where you do wallow. I mean, even if you knew it was coming or even if, you know, like in my case, you know that it was kind of um, self-imposed. There's still a lot of emotion around that. But I love that you took action, that you went to go kind of learn about yourself. Now, what was your degree in? What, what did you hoped to do when you graduated from school? That's a good question. I'm actually going to tell a little story about that, if that's nope. okay. Another story. <laughs> so I, uh, I started in college as a piano performance major. I thought that I was going to play in Carnegie Hall, right? You um, still may. That, that could still happen. It's possible. It's highly <laughs> unlikely as we go through the rest of the story, but, uh, but it is possible. I, I was a late bloomer with regard to piano. I wanted to quit. When I was in high school, I was uh, 17 and uh, my mom had made a deal with me. If you can play through this church hymn book all the way through in one sitting, you can quit. 
that's uh, that's about 380 songs in that book. <laughs> and so just one verse of that, it's going to take about four or five hours. And so I sat down one Saturday and I said, listen, it's over. And she's like, no, please don't do it. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to the piano. I'm playing through the book. And I knew I had the skills at that point to do it. So I sat down and I played through the whole book. And I said, I'm quitting. And so I went to my piano teacher and uh, I said, listen, my mom said I could quit. It's done. And uh, she said, okay, I'm just going to, I just want to do one thing before you leave. And she went to her uh, music drawer and she pulled out Beethoven's Sonata Number no. 8. It's called Pathetique. And she sat down and she put it out. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I just need to play a song for you before you leave. And uh, she played Pathetique, the first movement, all the way through. And then, and then I said, okay, cool. Well, that was beautiful. I love it. It's amazing. But I guess I'll see you later. And she's like, you can play that now. And I said, there's no way I can play that piece. That's way above my skills, way above my capabilities. And she said, you are ready for pathetique. And I said, well, I mean, if that's, if that's for real, then like, let's, let's keep doing this. And she was ready. My mom had called her. Oh. Told her I was <laughs> I gonna <love> quit. <laughs> she told her I was gonna quit, and she had a piece of cardstock with the first line of Pathetique, and she she glued it to the top of the page, and she had it ready for me, had my name on it, and she said, "Bring this back when you've mastered this first line." And uh, I I said I can't play any of this. This is crazy. I took it home and I messed with it for a minute, and I was like, "Oh wow, I can do this." And, and I mastered that line within a few hours and I went back for a second line and lessons continued long story short. And I mas- mastered in my definition of it, which mastery for me is like, get it good enough that people, you know, recognize the thing that you're doing and not like perfection and memorization, all those sorts of things. It's, it's like eight to 10 pages of piano music that I got through in several months. And she said, did you know that this is a scholarship piece? For universities, if you master this piece, you could get a scholarship in piano at uh, some universities. And I, and at that moment, I was just incredibly grateful for this mentor, wow. this teacher. But that leads into this story. So I, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll give it a go. And I went to BYU, and it turns out that it's really hard to get a scholarship in piano at that university. <laughs> so she probably would have guided me to a different university if she thought that music was going to be my career. But I did. I went to the professors there and I said, you know, how far off am I from at least getting into the piano performance program? And they said, well, that's a pretty big gap. You're going to have to practice this year for eight hours a day. And I thought, wow, like I averaged two hours a day during the summer all growing up because I loved the piano. I did it without any prompting from my parents or anything like that. But I I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll put in a week of eight hours a day. And then I'll put in a second week and I got to maybe three weeks and I was like, this is not it. I thought I was passionate about the piano. There is no way that I'm passionate to the tune of eight hours per day. And so I needed to start looking for a new major. I ended up being a psychology major after that. Well, that's a totally reasonable shift. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent, right? They're completely like, what's interesting about that though, is there's another piece of the story I'd love to share with you at some point, whether it's on this podcast or not, but like the, the level of transferability of skills that exists across professions and, and roles and careers. And like the jump is never as big as you think between a thing and another thing. And, and the universe is just so interconnected 
in all of its things. Yeah. Um, that like, it seems like a big jump, but there's things that I learned. I learned hard work from sitting down at the piano, some discipline there. There's some creativity that you learn that you need to apply to, you know, the things that you're doing in your psychology major. There's so much transferability across those majors and then across any major in any university. But I ended up in psychology. I did some research with a professor. I, I got a little turned off by the research process at that point. I realized at that point that a lot of researchers are getting together to confirm their opinions and not find truth. That institutions that are set up to be these beacons of kind of open-mindedness and, and truth-seeking, everyone has an agenda. And, and I was a little disillusioned by kind of the research process. I thought it was more purist than it actually was. And so I kind of, I, I left and said, you know, I'm a truth seeker, so I can't be a psychology major. That was a little bit irrational, a little bit too far, swung the pendulum too far. But I ended up at a business school, a career fair. And what they did was they went through all of the majors at the business school in order of pay from least to most. So they pitched general business, then they pitched marketing, and then they pitched accounting or finance, and then they pitched accounting, and then last but, or, and then the strategy, and then they pitched uh, information systems. And as I listened to all of these pitches, I was enamored with all of them. I'm like, I want to be a general business major. And then the marketing guys get up. I want to be a marketing major. And then the, and then the uh, finance guys get up. I want to be finance. I want to be accounting. I want to be... And then information systems. And I'm like, I want to be all these things. And so I just decided to pick the one that was uh, last in order because it paid the most. And it had the higher, highest job uh, placement rate. They had a 100% job placement in the history of the major. So I thought, I'm guaranteed a job. I'm guaranteed money. I like all these things. Let's do that. <laughs> and so uh I like money, uh, I like jobs. <laughs> yeah. Like you need to pay the bills, right? And that that's a whole nother conversation about, you know, the importance of liberal arts education and all we won't go into all those things, but sure. but there's a place in education for figuring out how to make your way in the world and to do things that people will pay you for as well. So I I decided to do information systems until I talked to a friend who was in the program and he said, uh, you don't have the technical skills that you need to get into this program. And uh, I thought, oh no, how am I going to learn these skills? Applications are due in six weeks, right? So I bought an HTML book. I applied for a job as a web developer at the law school. I taught myself web development. I went to the head of the law school web development. Uh, it's called WebDirect. It was the little company inside the law school to build stuff for the law school. Um, and I said, uh, I've read a book on HTML and I'd like to be a web developer. <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> I showed up in person, right? <laughs> I didn't apply via the online mechanism. I just showed up and I said, uh, I read a book on HTML. I'm really excited about it. I think I can do this. He said, I think I'm going to regret this, but you're hired. And so I got a job as a web developer. I was able to put that on my application and information systems. I got into a major I had no business getting into. Um, I hired a tutor to help me through all of my programming classes. I paid him $15 an hour as a student. It was a lot of money. My wife was just scratching her head. Like, are we really paying $15 an hour for a tutor for you? Um, he actually didn't teach me anything. I didn't think at the time. He sat next to me. And then he asked questions. Every time I'd do something he wouldn't have done, he'd say, well, why did you do it that way? And then I'd have to explain my rationale. The only thing he did the entire time I was paying $15 an hour was ask me why I did it that way. And it was I, the best I like money that I ever spent. I'm qualified for that job. <laughs> it's great, right? If, you, if you're an expert in something and you can actually sit over someone's shoulder and watch them and then ask them why they're doing things certain ways, you might actually learn better ways of doing things as the expert. Occasionally, he's like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. That's actually a good approach. 
that's that's 10% of the time. 90% of the time, he was just challenging me to articulate what it was that I thought. And so Brad is his name. Uh, it was my tutor at that point. It was some of the best money I ever spent. We ended up building a business together in college. We sold that business, joined that same startup that I got fired from. We joined that startup together. We ended up crossing paths again when I ended up in Instructure and he was at Instructure. And that's another story. But yeah, I was an information systems major to answer your question briefly. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's amazing. I think, you know, in listening to or talking with people for the interviews that I've done with this podcast in the past, I think that's the theme that has always kind of come up. And, and I, I love hearing your story and their stories as well is, is that uh, almost all of them, if not all of them, thought they were going to do one thing when they went to school, you know, or even like yourself, maybe they, you know, they, they like this part of it. So they did chose this degree, but, but what happens throughout their, you know, whether it's education uh, portion or also with their career is that you actually learn how to mesh all those skills and experiences and learnings together, which probably ends up taking you in a direction that you never thought you would go. So You've also had, it sounds like, a lot of people who really spoke into your life who helped you, not because maybe they just, other than your mom, um, who they, you know, were there and they care about you, but you, you positioned yourself, whether it was going to the things at school to try to figure out your major or going back to, for the career advice or even with the tutor under people who could guide you. Do you see that with other people that, that either they are doing that or that they aren't doing that? Or what can we do to encourage people to really kind of position yourself to learn both about yourself and from others? I, I love that. And, and it goes back to the, the intersection of those two circles that I talked about, of human connection and personal growth and development. And it's been so core to my story and it's why I'm so passionate about maybe helping others to see that intersection. You can grow and develop in significant ways if you realize the overlap between human connection and personal growth and development. What I see most often is that when people go into a room with other people, let's say you're sitting down, let's, let's make an imaginary networking event that I just sat down at. And there's six people at the table with me. And they've all got different backgrounds. They all look different. And they're all different. It's different people, right? What most people do when they sit down is that they immediately, very quickly, draw an X through this person, and then an X through this person, and then a circle around this person, an X, an X, and a circle. So those six people now each have. And that's, that's us trying to very quickly figure out who can help us. Right. So who at this table can help me? And you're quickly doing that. And I think that's most people. I, and I don't think you should necessarily feel bad for about it at first. Be aware of it. And then check yourself. Say like, am I doing this? Am I putting X's through some people and circles around other people? And what I found in my life is that it, it's going to surprise you. Someone you put an X through was actually a person who is a partner at a, a healthcare benefits firm. This is a real story, by the way. I'm not going to have the person. <laughs> You're full of stories. You need to be on oh. the stage. You... <laughs> <laughs> She's a partner at a, a benefits company, benefits administration company. And I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, I don't care about benefits administration. Healthcare benefits, that's not interesting to me. And so I put an X, right? Turns out she's one of the wealthiest people in the state and has invested in all sorts of technology startups, just like the type 
of company that I might want to start someday. And if you keep those X's through people, then you're going to miss out on some opportunities for yourself. What I try to do that's even more important than that is people also sit down and, and sometimes they think, who can I help here? Circle X, circle X, 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 right? And what I'm trying to do now when I sit down at that table with six people is figure out how I can help and benefit genuinely without any self-interest, those people in a very mm-hmm. human level. And the cards is what's kind of brought that out after having 700 conversations with people with the driver's cards that we can talk a little bit more about at some point. I've realized the opportunities that exist on both sides of that equation it, for me to be able to help others and for others to be able to help and impact uh, me in my life. One of the tools that you can use to kind of filter through this a little bit in your life is, is LinkedIn. It's a social networking platform that people probably are starting to see as a little bit noisy and maybe crowded. And there's people trying to sell you stuff and there's people trying to recruit you to jobs you don't want. But there's also real humans in there sharing genuine stories and helping each other. If you see LinkedIn as a platform to scale relationships, when you say, okay, at the top level, relationships matter for me, for my career. I can help other people, that sort of thing. LinkedIn helps scale relationships. Um, That's one of the things that we can do in a very tactical way to start to shift our thinking about people in our life and the way that they can help us to grow and to develop in our careers. Wow, fascinating. So are there any stories we need to cover before we get to your time at Instructure? Is there anything you want to share about kind of your career? You're a young guy. I mean, I'm looking at you on video. I've met you in person. So people listening to this, (laughs) Steve is a young guy. He's not, sounds like he's got a lot of wisdom and experience already in a very uh, young life. Yeah, so I'm I'm 36. Not uh, well. I guess I'm not 36 yet. What is it? Uh, January 23rd. When <laughs> six days, I'll be 36. When you and, get to be uh, my age, people ask you how old you are, and you have to go. What year was I born? Let's do some math. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm going to go back to something since we're talking about age for a second. That you mentioned. You said it's not too late if you want to play at Carnegie Hall, right? The interesting thing about like where I want to go is I want to build a company that provides meaningful work for people that sits at the intersection of human connection and growth and development. That's what I want to do. I'm not in a rush to do it. And that's a recent phenomenon. You hear stories about Mark Zuckerberg and you hear stories about Bill Gates and you hear stories about these young entrepreneurs who, you know, Sarah Blakely with Spanx, who's I think the richest woman in the world at this point. And you hear those stories and they started at a very young age and you think, crap, I missed the boat. It's too late for me, right? Mm-hmm. And then I've recently been reading some research on entrepreneurship and found that you know billion-dollar companies are most often started by people who are on average age of 40. And so I've got four more years, right? Yeah. It's exciting. I've and still so, got time, uh, too. <laughs> I'm still awesome, I'm working right? on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, and so we have all these kind of mis- misconceptions about age and, and what you can do at certain ages and all those sorts of things. And so I'm actually kind of glad that you, you brought that up with the Carnegie Hall thing, but... But yeah, happy to talk about my experience at Instructure at this point. So Yeah, so when you started there, how, how long have you been with Instructure? I have been here for four and a half years. So you started out in product development there? Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, <laughs> surprise, I'm, surprise. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was at a, a company called Hobson's before, and I was relatively happy with my job. And I had moved to work remotely 
and I lived in Kentucky, but they wanted me to move back to Washington, D.C., to Arlington, Virginia, where the headquarters were. And they said, you know, if you want to continue with the company, we're going to need you back in Arlington at some point. So let's start to have that conversation. And so it was now a question of, do I want to keep the job that I have and move back to D.C.? It was very expensive for a family with now two kids and uh, and one income. And and so uh, it was a decision point at that point. Do I want to go to instructor or not to instructor, but do I want to find a new job or do I want to move back to D.C.? My wife took me to dinner and uh, she said, I, I, we need to go to dinner. And I knew there was a talk coming. And she said, I need a five-year plan. Like I, you, you've bounced us around year, year over year. Like every year we're deciding what we're doing the next year. And I'm a little tired of it. So uh, I need a five-year plan. She wasn't mad or anything. She was just kind of giving this direction, right? And I said, uh, okay, how soon do you need it? And she said, well, like, like now would be good. And so I, I asked her for an approved list of cities. <laughs> that we could move our family. I love this negotiation. I like it. <laughs> there was seven cities on the list. And uh, one of them was Salt Lake City, uh, where I had a really strong network. And uh, I said, okay, well, we'll do it. And so I reached out to my friend, Brad. He was my tutor, the programming class tutor, the guy who I started the business with, the guy who we went to the startup together. And I said, hey, you're at Instructure. It's kind of my dream company. Uh, can you get me an interview there? And he said, sure. It was my third time interviewing. I'd been rejected the previous two times. And he got me in for another interview. And I got on the phone with uh, Nate, was the hiring manager at the time. And he said, listen, I know your dream is to work for Canvas. We don't have any opportunities for you on Canvas. Canvas was the education side of our business. It was uh, you know, $100 million in revenue and this really big growing education impact business. I wanted to be a part of that really badly. And he said, listen, we don't have an opportunity there, but we have an opportunity on Bridge. It's a new product, brand new. You don't even have customers yet. You get to work from the ground up. And I'm starting to get a little excited. Uh, he's like, we, we serve the corporate market. And I got a little less excited. And then he <laughs> said, the job I want you to do is a job I haven't been able to hire anybody to do. I've been working at it for five months now, and I can't convince anyone to take it. It's the worst job on the team. We need you to integrate Bridge with other systems. And most people see that as very unglamorous and terribly boring. But your background seems to suit it really well. And I was told that you're phenomenal. I want to know if you want to come take this role with the opportunities that will come later to do the type of work that you want to do in the long term. And I said, absolutely, I do. He painted a vision. He told me the truth about the situation. He was transparent in that way. And he saw value in me that was very specific to my strengths and skills. And he knew that he could apply those to the opportunity that he had in front of him. And those three things just, to me, screamed leadership. And I said, I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. Within a month, I had that five-year plan for my wife. And I was moving from Kentucky with my family out to uh, Utah. And uh, we bought a house and all those things. And I started this job that nobody wanted. And I decided I was going to make it something incredible and awesome. I made it a very strategic co component of the bridge business. And I got very familiar with the market and our customers. And I started to learn about sales. And I started to learn about marketing and, and how to build a business, not just a product. And that led to leadership opportunities on a net new product where I got to work in, guess what? Career development. That place that, you know, from getting fired, that point, like, that was what I wanted to do was help people to shape and shift their careers, and grow them and use this experience that I had getting fired in this really critical moment in my life and try to help other people with that knowledge. And, and the first day that I started in structure, I was like, Nate, 
can we grab a room and let's get on a whiteboard? And I whiteboarded for him how the learning management system that we were building then would lead to a career development platform at some point inside of companies. And he said, listen, now's not the time. Go integrate bridge with other systems like I hired you to do. And let's <laughs> talk about that later. And every six months, we surface that conversation until eventually then I had that job of go find out if there's a market for career development. Go build this new product. And so that led to you know the second role as a career development product manager, with it, which then led to leading product marketing to help tell the story of Bridge in a more meaningful way and find our event where you and I met and all of those sorts of things. So, so what was that story before we kind of move on to the next phase? Once, yeah, with, with the product development, what what was the story? So the best story that comes from that product development is uh, the research that we did with employees of companies to help them figure out how a tool could help them shape their career. And so we're a software company. How do we build software that helps people to explore their careers and build more meaningful careers and tie that back to the organizational goals of impact? And so we actually went and visited 45 companies all around the world. I got to travel all year. I got my Delta Platinum status, which turns out you're not as proud of once you get there as you thought you would be. (laughs) I am. I'm you very proud. Like being home with, you want to be home with your family too, though, or the people you care about, like those relationships. Yes. And it is hard to travel and all those sorts of things. But it was awesome for me during the time to just go to cities all over the world, all over the country to talk to people about the needs that they have with regard to career development. And so I talked to 45 companies and we found enough demand for career development tools that we were able to convince and structure to pay to build a tool. And so then we said, okay, I'm guessing the buyer needs are not the same as the user needs that companies want career development tools for one thing and then employees want it for another thing. Let's figure out the alignment between those things so we can build the right tool. And so that's when the kind of pinnacle moment of my career happens where like I hit that first peak of my career and I hope there's more peaks beyond it. But that first peak was I went out and I started to talk to individual employees about three questions. Number one, what brought you to the place that you're in today? Where do you want to get in the long term of your career? And how do you plan to get there? And the first 50 conversations were just those three questions. It was like the chat that you and I are having right now. And it was, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Those are the only words that I wanted to say during those conversations. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. 46 pages of notes during some of the early conversations. And then we put stickies all up on walls to figure out the association between ideas and tie relationships between these careers. Then we built a paper prototype like paper version of our software where we could create a, like a paper-based career development plan that people could fill out with minimal guidance from us so that we knew that we could build software to support it. From those conversations is where we found the, the really key kind of universal truth as part of everything that's the bridge story, which is that at the end of the day, people care very much more about their key motivation and drivers than they do about roles that they're going to be in in the long term of their career. People mm-hmm. people think they care about whether they can get the mountain that is labeled vice president of product management or the mountain that is labeled CEO or whatever role you want to slap on top of that mountain. When you talk to them at length, none of that matters. What really matters is, do I have the right relationship between work and life? We call that work-life balance. You could call it work-life integration. I don't really care what you call it, but it's the relationship between work and life. And is it a healthy relationship? What they really care about is, can I provide for the needs of the people that I love? 
in both the relationships and the time that I have to give to those relationships and the financial stability that I might need to provide. What they really care about is, can I make a meaningful impact in the world? We came up with 54, 52. I don't know why I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> 54 driver's cards in six different categories. And there are things like work-life balance and impact and, and collaboration and, 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 and all these key motivators. And I've had now 700, literally 700 conversations with these cards at conferences and in people's homes and at their places of work and all over the place. And every single time I just dial in a hundred percent to that person to understand exactly what it is that motivates them and what drives them. The number of times that I've cried, the number of times that they've cried as we've had these conversations, the emotion that comes up. There's these visceral sort of reactions to really understanding what's at your core. And it's it's just been the most profound experience that I could imagine having with my careers. And 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 so we we created these cards. We've shipped out forty thousand of these decks to companies all around the world to help use them with their employees to help create this meaningful change in their careers and align their their interests to the needs of the business and all those sorts of things. And then we built software around it and all those sorts of things. But uh, it's been really profound to see kind of the the human side of software development. And so I have this equation now that human solutions plus technology solutions plus business solutions is what I call augmented humanity. And so we take the humanity and we augment that with business, with technology. That's what really scales us to impact. If you leave out the human piece of the equation, you're not going to have the impact that you, that you need to have in what you're building and what you're doing. So, Interesting. So that's like my dream job to talk to 700 people about what drives them and, and help them to find that path. Can you, is it possible for you to kind of distill from those conversations and your work with the product? What are kind of the high level things? I mean, you've mentioned things like being able to provide for people and meaning or the balance between work and life or the integration of that. Are there any things that that you can think of as kind of like typical of what people discover through that process? Yeah, absolutely. The conversations matured beyond just the paper prototype. That was a very static sort of framework for having the conversation. And now I've started to have conversations in a much more natural and organic way with people about their careers and their whys and that sort of thing. I always start the conversation with people that inspire them. So back to that human connection, intersection of growth and development, right? So I'll, I would ask a question of, of you, Jennifer, of like, you know, who is your life role model? And I want your career role model. I want your life role model. And then you tell me. And we, we'd describe that person. we get all the characteristics of why that person's your life role model. Sometimes people will say, I don't have one. And I'll say, okay, well, let's design one right now. Give them a name. We'll write their name on the whiteboard. Tell me, describe that person to me. It would be your perfect role model. And what they find is that, wow, I've just described who I want to be, right? And then I ask them, okay, how close to that person are you? Sometimes they'll say, oh, I'm really, really far from that person. They might start crying, right? And, and that person has relationships at their core, and they're really focused on the people that matter to them in their life. And, and they're making an impact in the world with the work that they do. They feel valued by the organization that they work for. So to kind of get to the core of your question, there's, there's five top drivers that come out in these conversations. Work-life balance is number one. And it's twice as high as any of the other ones. 
And I think part of that's cultural. We've kind of made that part of our nomenclature to the point that people feel guilty if they don't say that's the number one thing they're looking for in their career. We've made it such a big, important thing. Again, I like to talk about the relationship between work, work and life, and some people want a different relationship than others. The next thing that comes up is feeling valued. That's second. And so people want to feel valued by the people they work with and the people that they work for. Then there's impact and mission and those types of things. And so those are the three really core ones. But you draw a lot of that out even better than with the cards by talking about the people who inspire them most. And, and so I'll get a, a life hero and then we'll get a career hero. And then we'll talk about the overlap between those people. And so someone you know who has a career that you want, right? Mm-hmm. We'll describe that career. We'll describe this person with their life. We'll try to find the intersection of those two things and bring those two things together. And so the conversation, again, it always starts with people. And then the next thing it, it moves to is strength and what you like doing and the intersection of those things. So what are you really good at and what do you really like doing? And so mm-hmm. I, might, I might go through a session where we say, list everything that you do. They're like, what? And I'm like, I'll, I'll write the first few things. You write emails, you go to meetings. And then they're like, okay, I get it. And they list all the things that they do as part of their work, their life, whatever. And we say, okay, let's put a smiley face, a sad face, or a meh face next to, next to each one of these. We do that. And I say, okay, let's put a one, two, or three based on your level of skill with these things. And they do that. And then we say, you know, how challenging is it? So skill, challenge, and, and happiness. And then we take the happiness and skill and we plot it on quadrants. And then we start to figure out the activities that they want to engage in. And mm-hmm. we ask questions like, what do you know that you are good at, even though you've never tried it? Yeah. For, me, it's, for me, it's writing a novel. I know I've got a good novel inside of me, even though I haven't done it yet. Right? And mm-hmm. people, there's great stories there. Um, another is, what do people ask you for help with all of the time? those sorts of things. And so you get that areas of strength. And then we start to kind of map out that, that future path. What are some of the jobs you've looked at that have been interesting? And what could you see yourself doing that you've never done before? We start to map the relationships to the strengths and activities to the types of roles that might be interesting to them and start to map that kind of vision mm-hmm. that they have for their career. So, I mean, this is fascinating to me. But, you know, obviously you developed this while working for a company who has a product that is focused on business and corporate clients. So how have you kind of made that something that discovering all this for employees of an organization, something that a company then either wants to buy a software product or work with the products that Instructure offers? I think I would think that a lot of companies or, or managers might see, well, if I help my people figure out who they are and what they want to be, they'll leave. How, how did you? How do you sell that to a company to be like, yeah, help your people figure out their career path? And I think the tagline is "Find your Everest." Hundred percent. Um, yeah, I love that. So, how if we help them find their Everest and it's not here, we're going to lose them all. I'm just, you know, I know that's what yeah. you're hearing. So, so how did you make that kind of connection for the corporate clients? There's a quote that shows up on LinkedIn quite a bit that says, uh, "Hey, manager, what if we invest in uh, in our employees?" And their development, and they leave, and then the guys or the gal says, uh, "Yeah, well, what if we in what if we don't invest in them and they stay?" So that's part of it. You want to develop people towards their objectives. Even more poignant of a quote for me is a woman who I met, who was global head of talent for uh, Unilever, or actually USA head of talent USA for Unilever, so a very large company. We showed our product to her. And said, 
you know, do you have concerns that using a product like this, your people will leave? And she said something that we've leveraged quite a bit since, which was if we don't invest in our employees for whatever they're interested in, whether it's inside or outside of the company, we're not going to get their, their best level of effort. And we're not going to be able to be a place that people want to come and go to work. An interesting story related to that is when I showed up at Accenture, which is a hop that we didn't talk about in my journey. But I was at yeah. Accenture for two and a half years. I went there after getting fired because I wanted to go to a boot camp. And so people said, uh, why are you going to Accenture? That's so different than the startup you were just at. And I said, well, you know, I thought about going to another startup, but I got fired from the first startup. I think I need to learn a little bit of discipline. You're right. I don't think Accenture is my long term, but I think it's a great place to learn some discipline. So it's going to be my career boot camp. And people said, okay, well, I guess we'll see how that works out. So I spent two and a half years there. One of the reasons I went there, though, is I talked to every senior manager. And one of the questions that I asked people during an interview process, when I'm being interviewed, they said, do you have any questions for us? And really, they're trying to check that box and move on to the next interview. But I always say, when was a time that you wanted to leave this company? And why did you decide to stay? That Talk me through that story. fantastic question. I'm going to just like... We're going to have to highlight that, put quotes around it. That's fantastic. Go ahead. <laughs> every single Accenture senior manager said the same thing, is that I tried to leave. I worked with my career counselor and a manager. And every single one of them talked about a career counselor or manager. Because they have career counselors at Accenture that they assign that's separate from your manager. You have a career support and then you have a manager. Every single one of them said, great. If you want to leave, we want to help you. We have thousands of clients, maybe hundreds of thousands of clients we've served throughout the years. I have a big Rolodex. Accenture has a massive directory of people. Where do you want to go that's better than here? And let me help you get there. And then they tell a story about how they realized that they had a choice, that nobody was forcing them in any particular direction, that they could say yes to Accenture still. And it wasn't leaving other opportunities. Like, they weren't going to miss out on other opportunities, right? The world is their oyster. And so I said, that's the type of company I want to be at, is a company that understands that their current employees are their future clients and customers. Mm-hmm. A company that understands that if you invest in your people and are willing to find the best possible place for them, whether it's here or outside, that's the type of company people want to work at these days. So that's the story that we tell companies is, listen, like, if you invest in their Everest, you're going to get another year out of them. If I told you I could increase your retention by 25%, you'd probably think about individual people and whether they stay or go. What you're not thinking about is how do I get an extra year and not reducing the number of people who leave and stay, but getting more time out of the people who you want to keep around. And those are people who will only stay if you're investing in their Everest, their long-term vision of their career. That is fantastic. And I'll, I'll get links from you that we'll add in the show notes that we can either link to what Instructure does or Bridge uh, and the Career Drivers decks if you guys have enough of those if people are interested in them. So I will share all that. But I think you know what you've shared in terms of the thought process around it is what's really important because everybody that's listening to this podcast, whether they're... You know, my brother's the biggest fan of this podcast. He's a cardiologist, a very successful cardiologist. Even he can get something out of this, but certainly all the people that work as a people leader or in human resources recruiting, that is so money. What you just said about, especially in today's world, that 
most people aren't looking at jobs as a lifelong adventure, you know, at this one company in this job. So how can we get the most out of you and help you to become your best self while you're here? Because that benefits us, it benefits you. And for those who say, I really like that my company does that, they probably will stay either longer or maybe even forever. So that's, I like how you you both have experienced it and, and you productized it in a way. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll share, you know, in the intro, I said a little bit about how we met, but when you and I went through the career driver's deck, and you may not remember it like I did, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting next to Claude Silver, who's the chief heart officer of VaynerMedia, who's very much in her zone of genius right now. And everything's just clicking away with Claude and the person that's working with it for her. And, and you were struggling with me because I think it, it once again revealed some of the things that I still even though I have a lot of autonomy and I love my job and I get to make an impact, which were all drivers for me. We also talked about things that were, I mean, how do you talk about the things that aren't going well? You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the frowny faces or whatever mm-hmm. you were talking about. And as usual with me, a lot of that's self-imposed. And I don't like to have that revealed in the light of day, maybe so much. I know it inside. And I tell myself I'm, I, I'm good because I recognize my flaws. But when I'm asked to kind of explain, you know, why I still do things the way I do or certain things, it becomes a little bit more. So I, it, was, it was meaningful. And at the networking event that evening, a friend of mine, Rayanne Thorne, who has her own company, a media company, she had come to the event late. So she had not gotten to do that exercise. So now I'm fully trained. I've been through it once, right? <laughs> So I went went over to the, you know, there's cocktails and, and, you know, drinks and dinner going on. And I'm like, I can take you through this. (laughs) So we go through it. Yeah, we go through it. I'm sure I I messed it up. But even with my limited knowledge by using the card deck to kind of have the conversations with her, it was fascinating to me. She kept talking a lot about how she strives for more. She strives for more. It's never good enough, you know, good in the, in the positive sense that she wants her work to be of such high quality that, you know, it's never good enough. And I, I kept coming back and at the end, I was like, Rayanne, the theme with you is kind of like you, you just are always striving to do more. And she said, maybe that's why my company's called Never Enough Media. And I was like, boom. That's awesome. <laughs> We used this tool. We got right back to who you really are, but you never really noticed it. So I just, I thought it was pretty cool. Not only to have had gone through it myself, to have seen Claude go through it as well, but then to to work through it very poorly with Rianne, but still come to a meaningful result. There's only one way to screw it up, by the way, and that's to to care about yourself more more than the person who you're talking to with the cards. Uh-huh. If you care personally for that person and you lean in to really trying to understand them and help and support them, you will not screw it up. You can use the cards in any way, using any mechanic. They're just a box of cards. You can do whatever you want with them. The times where I've done harm, and I have done harm with an instrument like that, with a, with a deck of cards that's designed to find people's motivations, is when I've cared more about myself and my intent, my the outcomes that I want to achieve with that particular box of cards more than the person on the other side of the table. So. Wow. Well, I could talk to you forever, but I know you have other things you have to do. And and I think that's a great place to leave it because that's great advice for any leader, whether you're using the career driver's deck to have a conversation or not. When you're talking with someone on your team or someone in your life where you're, you know, the more you're focused on them, you can't screw that up when you are focused on them. It's when you start inserting yourself or 
your experiences or your thoughts on what they should do with their life, we can mess people up. So that's good advice, I think, for all of us. So tell us, Steve, kind of if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to either find you or connect with you, not show up at your door, don't do that, people, but where can we find out more about Steve Martins online? Um, the best place is usually LinkedIn. And there's only, I think, two Steve Arntzes on LinkedIn. And one of them owns this company called like FSCX Corp or something. That's not me. That's not you. Um, <laughs> you'll find me. I'm a, I've got, at, at least at the moment on LinkedIn, a red shirt and a big smile. And so you can find me there. I occasionally post on Twitter, but I'm not a big tweeter. And then, I mean, if you want to email me directly, I, I'd, I'd be happy to get my cell phone number, but I probably won't do that this point but me at stevearnst.com is uh my email as well and i'm happy to uh, respond there so well if you do send steve an email so tell him that you heard him on the impact makers podcast so that i can get my kickback for (laughs) see here i go i'm thinking about me gotta stop that (laughs) (laughs) i really appreciate you sharing with me today steve Uh, i enjoyed our conversation in park city last year and regret that I have not reached out to you sooner because I think you have a lot of wisdom to share both from what you've learned, but also from your personal experiences. So I thank you for dropping some knowledge bombs today. And I think really helping both me and our, you know, the people that are listening to think about not only our own careers, but how we can help others to grow. I loved your, your mother, your piano teacher, the Ancestry.com guy, you know, the your wife with the five-year plan. You've had some really, really good people to kind of hold you accountable and, and challenge you along the way. And I think that's another lesson I'm taking away as well. So thanks again for joining me today. And now you've got me crying. So thanks, Jennifer. All right. I, I'm the Barbara Walters of podcasting here. We go. Go. <laughs> thanks so much, Jennifer. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.